right. And about that time, everybody died. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Pleasure again to see you. Thank you for coming by and joining into another Merged Worlds Dungeons and Dragons story podcast stream. I appreciate that. Hello, Rhino. Long time. I'm glad to have you back. <laughs> MC says, I'm here, but my internet has been spotty since the storm rolled through yesterday. That I understand all too well, my friend. Glad to have you while you could be here. <laughs> so, um, as usual, we're going to begin with just a little bit of a recap from where we left off. Setting the, for those folks who may not have been here, but uh, we're going to get into it. Now, today's stream may be a little bit shorter than normal. I normally try to go about two and a half hours. Content, I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm estimating I've got about two hours worth. Um, I take it back. I have way more than that, but there's a certain point I want to get to um, because what happens after that, I don't want to break it up, if that makes sense. There's a part of the story that I want to be able to go through in one full uh, section, one full uh, episode, and so I don't want to get partway into it and then not run out of time or not have enough or whatever, so uh, there's a certain point we're going to get to that I'm going to stop. It could take two and a half hours, it could take an hour and a half, I'm not sure. Um, what I write very rarely matches how much my mouth flaps, right? <laughs> Hello, Michael. Uh, sometimes stuff I think, like, oh, there's only an hour's worth of stuff. will take me four hours. So um, the notes are always the same size. What my imagination and mouth do while I'm talking, not always so much. So um, I'm estimating we have about two hours worth of story. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. Uh, but to... Kind of touch upon where we left off. Um, before I do that, I should say thank you, everybody, for hanging out today. If you have a good time, please remember to click like. Most importantly, remember to subscribe. We've hit 16,000 subscribers this week. That's awesome. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. It's been a really good year. So thank you all for helping make that happen. I do appreciate it. Um, but uh, so let's see where we left off. So storyline we're doing right now. Uh, this takes place a little, just a smidge over a year from the last events where Serenity was attacked by undead and kids had their adventure in the Kingdom of Firemoon. Uh, Dandy's chilling in the, her store one day when an uh, older human hunter shows up um, and says that he's heading northeast for a non-hunter job, because hunters being the undead hunting community. He's heading up there because there's a town that's being uh, troubled by drow. And Dandy, of course, has been hunting for a specific drow for many, many years. The one that killed a, slaughtered, I should say, village of Kender way back in their very, very first adventure. So she and the party, the group of homies and friends, start heading that direction. Uh, they kind of sneak out of town. They try not to let known completely that they're gone. People are going to figure it out eventually but they try not to you know they don't know who they're being watched by so they try to keep that a little bit on the sneaky side our party is our regular four mercy dandy darsh and artemis as well as percy artemis's personal i guess you could say templar uh, she didn't have a lot of say in the matter percy was going with her but in the long run they didn't make her take like 20 templars so that's still improvement in her eyes on route, they had a couple adventures. Uh, while doing that, they picked up a young human female mage named Fia. And uh, Fia uh, was in a stasis sleep for her father, who was a mage, uh, specialized in magical machines and such, which had turned and killed the whole countryside. <laughs> um, they end up fighting the big monster, and she joined the party. 
continuing northeast. They eventually get to a small town not too far outside of the main city they're going to, a city named Star's Reach. Um, while they're, they're offered a job escorting a caravan, just kind of the cover story they're doing, people to come help, and they're also mercenaries. While they're in there, they uh, go on a little mini-adventure in the town that's being plagued by some owlbears, deal with that, get a little more messed up than they were expecting, get back in time to take the caravan. Caravan is heading that direction. It gets attacked by a couple hill giants. Um, they manage to, like, seriously take out the hill giants. Um, so by the time they get to Star's Reach, word is already going around uh, that they're pretty badass, which is great for their cover story. Um, so right about where we ended last time, they had just met with the Merchants Guild. Um, there is a king, or mayor, I should say. Mayor, not king, which is chosen by the Merchant Guild. But the Merchant Guild is really the ones that you know, kind of picked him and so on and so forth. The Merchant Guild are decent people. I mean, it's just that's who kind of runs the city. Um, the city itself is kind of known as a neutral point. Um, and many of the different, there's like a group of kingdoms that are kind of around it at a distance that very often are warring against each other. But they're a neutral hub where a lot of times people have that conversation or anyone can go and trade their wares um, because if one person was to attack that central, you know, that's them, all the other ones would be against that. And none of the kingdoms want to risk having all the other kingdoms attack them. So in this situation, that's uh, they're kind of a status quo there. Keeps them safe in the middle. But this group of drow has moved into a caves up in the northeast and they've been slowly getting worse and worse. First, just raiding towns, stealing supplies, killing livestock. Then it started to be people. Then they started attacking the caravans. What our heroes were told by the uh, uh, Merchants Guild leaders, which was Taryn McGregor, a human, Valen Silverleaf, a half-elf, Brenda Stormshammer, a dwarf, and Caden Black, another human. They advised them that there's going to be a really big caravan coming from the east in the near, near future. Um, and it's like a major caravan of goods. And if something were to happen to that, they might lose their status as a neutral place. If they can't be that neutral place because it's not safe, the other kingdoms might stop dealing with them. And they don't want to take that chance, right? So they're like, we really need this drought situation taken care of before that. And offer them, you know, money and wealth and such to... To take on the quest. Oh, Jim's here. Says, hey, Draven, the late's got home smashes on the way. I'm going to labor it. Oh, okay. No, that's awesome sauce. Congrats ahead of time. <laughs> no worries. I was just doing the recap. So the last thing that they were told is that there was another half-elf in the town named Quint Titanfoe, who um, had survived, was one of the only survivors of one of the attacks, a small caravan that was attacked. And he may have some further information that might help them out. So they were going to go and speak with him. See if he has any more information. Maybe spend just a little bit more time in town, and then they're going to try to go out and take care of this drow issue. That's kind of where we left off, and that's where we're starting up today. All right? So, um, based on the information they were given by those folks, if they think this, you know, they're like, okay, well, if you guys think he has information that might help, you got nothing to lose by going and talking to him. They make their way to own to uh, Quentin. Quent is a Fletcher. He's a boyer and a Fletcher. If you don't know what that is, that's someone who makes bows and arrows. <coughs> Excuse me. Bows and arrows. He has a small store, and it's midday when they head there. <clears throat> They're able to go inside and 
when they walk inside, they immediately looking around, they can tell that the guy has skill. He's very high quality goods in. Um, got bows and arrows and bolts for crossbows and crossbows. And he doesn't make all of like the crossbows and such, but he does trade in them as well. Uh, Quint is, a, is an older half-elf. It's always hard to judge a half-elf's age, but he looks like he's in his maybe 60s human. Probably could be 100, 200 years old for a half-elf. So he's just kind of, you know, he's. they come in and they say why they're there. They, they've been sent by the merchant lords to get some information because they've come into town to try to help the drow. And Quint's excited to hear that. He's like, excellent. I'm, I'm so glad. I'm happy to help any way I can. Those bastards have been terrorizing our town now for months, and it's just not safe. I lost some good friends when they attacked our caravan. So Mercy you know, begins to talk to him, while well, the others kind of looking around the store and still listening in. Mostly Mercy and Danny are kind of listening and like, um, like, okay, well, what, what, were you going towards somewhere, from somewhere? And he says, no, we're returning from a kingdom to the east. There's a large kingdom directly from the east, and it happens to be the same one that large caravan's going to be. Um, there are uh, some rare birds that grow in that area whose feathers are phenomenal for arrows. And so he buys and trades with that city. Um, and sometimes he goes, sometimes he pays others to go for him. In this situation, he was working out a new contract from a new uh, uh, group of people who ha have these feathers, high, very high-quality feathers. One reason why his arrows are sought after by, by many. Um, and was returning home from that when they were attacked. Um, again, very rare birds, high-quality feathers. So, as they were returning, you know, as they're on their way back, they're only a, about a day or two out of the out of the town they're in now, Star's Reach. But so they're within Star's Reach, what's known as their land. Uh, they'd already passed a couple of smaller towns and were heading in that way. When again they were attacked in the night, they were not traveling at the time. They basically pulled off the road and set up a small camp when they were attacked by the drow. And of course, Mercy's like, "Can you describe the drow? What did you see? How were they dressed? What were they wearing? You know, weapons? Did you see anything?" And he's like, "I'll be honest. I, I." He goes, "I saw two of them, but there were many, many more." They're like, "How do you know?" He goes, "Because you could hear them." hollering and yelling to each other and such. He goes, no language I know, of course. Are we drow? But they're, you know, sorry, mostly we were under attack by arrows. He goes, I, I, he goes, I was knocked unconscious um, in the middle of it. When I woke up, I was under the wagon and everything was over. I was one of the last, I was only the only one who survived. Um, I wasn't, didn't make it through completely unscathed. I took an arrow to the knee, so I won't be able to adventure anymore. Um, but he goes, you know, I, I managed to limp out of there and, and get some help soon after. I'm like, okay, well, you, you say you only saw two of them. How were they dressed? He said, well, they were dressed all in black. Um, they didn't appear to have much on in the way of armor, uh, but they were really, you know, quiet in the way they seemed to move. He goes, it's hard to see. Was it night? They're on the other side of, you know, the light was all ours. They're out in the darkness. We made pretty easy targets at that point. And, uh, again, the, the hooting and hollering was from all around us. We were definitely surrounded, and the arrows came from every direction. There had to be quite a few of them. And they're like, well, did you see any anything with them? Giants, trolls, you know, hobgoblins. Did you see any other race? Because no, I only saw the two, and they were at a distance. 
definitely elven in look. My eyes are a little bit better than everyone else's in the party. I was only half elf, so I mean, I got a decent look at a couple that were running from a tree to a tree kind of situation, but that's really... No one ran into melee, at least not, you know, while I was conscious. Uh, I got hit in the... shot in the leg with the arrow, and then I fell backwards, and I, I hit my head on something, or it might have been the wagon, and I fell underneath of it. The arrow sticking out of me, I probably looked like I was dead anyways, so they just must have let me pass. When I woke up, there were no other survivors. A lot of the goods were taken. All my damn arrows, my, my you know, arrow feathers and such like that, all that was gone. Like, uh, like, well, do you remember any of the phrases that you heard? He goes, no, it's a language I've never heard. I, I don't even know if I could say it sounded elven. He goes, but I'll be honest, you know, I've lived all my life in and around humans, um, my mother's people, and uh, I've, I've, I know very little elven to begin with, let, let alone have I had any experience with drow. Um, so they're like, okay, all right. And he, you can tell Quint's a little unhappy about the situation, and he goes on, he's like, and he goes, now, this is going to make things harder for me as well, because now, I mean, I'm going to have to pay twice as much to have arrow, the feathers and stuff delivered to me, I'm sure as hell not going back out there. If they attacked us once, and I've heard they've attacked multiple since then. Mine was like two months ago. More and more are getting hit. I just, I can't take the chance of going through there and risking my life, but I still need the feathers, so I've got to pay other people to bring them. It's going to cost me a ton way more money than I, than I really could. It's going to cut into my profit and my livelihood. Okay, all right, all right. There's a little bit more other conversation, and uh, like, they didn't really seem to have much else to say beyond that like okay well we appreciate your help we're gonna go ahead and start gathering up some gear and you know get ready to go and he's like well you know what he goes i'll tell you right now you're going after those bastards you need some arrows crossbow bolts i i will give you whatever you need i'm happy to donate them to this cause eradicating these bastards and you know for all the lives they took and friends i've lost i'm all about it and they pay, thank him like we appreciate that but none of them are really archers none of them use crossbows darsh can but he doesn't have one he uses them on his ship a lot they'll have bows and crossbows for ship to ship battle but um it's not something he carries in regular that uh, he has javelins if he wants something ranged um so they're like okay he's like we appreciate that if we need any we'll come back he's like you just let me know we're happy i'm happy to donate him it takes those bastards out yeah, he lost a friend a close friend uh, traveling another merchant from the same town that he's known for years. They were traveling together, and that person didn't make it. So they spend the next day or so. They don't, they don't cut right out. They spend the rest of the day kind of asking around, getting information, talking to a few other people that have been involved in them. Because uh, like some of them have been under attack, but they drove them off and really didn't lose many people at all. They're able to find a couple other uh, survivors and ask them. And there's a few things of specific information that they learn. When asking around, oh, I almost forgot one of the most important things. I'm sorry. As they're getting ready to leave Quint's shop, Mercy stops for a second. She turns back to Quint. She goes, Wait, you, you said you got shot by one of them in the leg? He's like, yeah, yeah, I did. He, she goes, did the el Was it a good arrow? I'm like, was you stubbed the arrow? He goes, no, it actually broke on impact. Because <laughs> it was a trash arrow. Because I, I would have never accepted that. He goes, no. He goes, it was, it, was, it was definitely a handmade kind of arrow that, you know, did its job, obviously, but uh, it had an iron tip. 
but it was the the wood itself broke. I guess it broke maybe possibly when I fell, but I wouldn't call it high quality. No, she's like, okay, thank you, I appreciate that. They head back out. Other information they learn while they're going around that in all the attacks and the few people who have happened to see the drow, same description, dressed all in black, long white hair, which is you expect, dark as dark as dark could be skin. Although no one has seen one of them that they believed was a female. You hear that, it's like, hey, it's dark. I mean, it's hard to tell, you know? And I mean, not to say anything negatively, but when you meet most elves, they're not overwhelmingly large in areas that might make it easy to tell they're female. In fact, very often with the soft skin and the delicate features, most elves can have a bit of a feminine look. Um, and so they're... Like we, they never saw anyone that would clearly cut say, yes, that was a female. They've also not seen, <clears throat> excuse me, no one saw any drow that at any moment would be taken for a wizard or a cleric of any kind. While they state there have been, a, there were a couple examples of minor magic being used, no one has seen anyone dressed in the classic wizard's robes or cleric's robes or anything of that nature. Uh, the drow always use ranged first, and sometimes that's all they'll use, unless you know, there's, they take out enough people that rushing into melee uh, will work. And they only do that if they're winning. It is a rare situation where they're winning, come into melee and get pushed back. And those are usually the few situations where someone sees a drow and is able to live to tell about it. Um, the other thing is the drow destroy anything that they don't take. So wagons, slaughter livestock, horses, whatever. Uh, they never take horses, which, I mean, they're living in caves. They probably wouldn't have a lot of use for them. And if they're drow, they may not have a lot of experience with horses. So that's not unusual. Um, but they destroy stuff they don't take. They'll burn wagons and such. Uh, take any, they take anything of value. So you'll ne they're never going to find coins or gems or jewelry. They definitely rogue people for anything of value that's on the bodies. Um, and they take some goods and such as well, like his, his arrows uh, or his feathers and such for arrows and anything of value, foods and such. But whatever they can't take, they destroy. Hello, Christian. Good day. So they spend, a, like I said, a chunk of the day just kind of asking these questions. And they gather up so what few supplies they need. Again, with their chest of holding, they've got enough supplies to last them months, but they don't, you know, they always have to be careful not to let that be known, right? Because if they leave with no supplies, that's going to look weird. And they don't just whip out the chest of holding in the middle of a store and climb down in and load stuff up. So they try to keep the fact they have a chest of holding hidden in almost every situation, unless they literally need to save people's life and like, get inside this box. Um, so they, they buy some supplies they don't really need, but enough that would last them a couple weeks of travel. Once they get out of the city, they can always throw them in the chest at that point, and it's just extra stuff. And money, not a huge problem for them. So they spend the night in the inn again, pay their tab, get a good meal, get a good rest, because they know from what they've been told, <coughs> excuse me, they're going to follow the main road that heads east towards that other kingdom, uh, the one that the big caravan's coming from. And... They're going to travel from what the map, I said they were given a map of the area and, and some of this stuff was explained. They've learned that there's a town just a couple days away 
And its name is, let me give you the name, <clears throat> Mendare. So the town of Mendare is a distance to the east. And <clears throat> supposedly there's an old mining road that leads northeast from there up onto the caves. At one point, the mountain was minorly mined, um, but not for long. Find anything? We'll try to find out more on the way. There's supposedly an old road that should take them up there. And while they're not trying to just rush right into the drow down the street, it's going to help them get there at least and get close enough that they can then go off road and be a little sneaky, sneaky. They spend the night there, get some good food. Before they leave the next day, they prepare themselves. They've got their horses. Fia's going with them. So there are six people in the party at this point. Dandy Darsh, Mercy Artemis, Percy, and Fia. They do take a chance. Dandy takes an hour or so before everybody else is leaving. She kind of goes around and checks in in some of the other inns, ones that are already up and rowing, and asks if anyone's checked in that matches Aaron's description. Um, and at this point, they're like, no, no one has yet. So Dandy's a little worried about the guy because he seemed experienced as a hunter. As I've discussed, he was an older guy, and this is not a profession that you're normally in when you're older. So he obviously had the ability to survive some stuff, but... They went through the area where they had to fight the giant machine farm golem. And she's really afraid that maybe because he'd left before them, got pulled into that, maybe it killed him somewhere off road, off the path that they took. So she's definitely worried about him and the fact that he hasn't got here, especially since he left ahead of time. But she does have some hope because he is a hunter, and who knows, he may have just changed his mind if he came across an undead hunt. That's probably going to take his priority. But she's not sure. But she does worry. She... They spend some time going around town seeing no one's no one has any signs, not even just his name, no one says anyone that matches his description. So they gather supplies and they begin to head out the east road. Now the road that they're on is heading towards the kingdom of Elor. Uh, kingdom Elor is well off to the east. There are five towns, there used to be seven, there are five cities or kingdoms that's kind of surround Star's Reach, if you and one directly east is this one. And it's one of the larger of them. Um, and it's one that is regular, has regularly um, warred with the other. All of them seem to war against each other every so often. Um, but this one's a bit more of the stronger ones of all of them. So they don't take, they don't lose a lot when they, you know, people don't pick on them much because they're, they're one of the biggest of the kingdoms. Uh, so they kind of leave them alone. Which is what, how Elor wants it. Nobody wants to be at war, right? I'm, well, I'm assuming nobody does. There's a few people out there that are all about war. But these people, and what they hear, his, the king of, of that uh, kingdom is not one. And he likes being able to trade, which is why the large caravans come through. They make a lot of money here, selling to the other kingdoms. Being large, they have a lot of goods. Which also helps them kind of undercut their competitors in some of those things, which is nice because they got so much of it, they can offer it at a lower price. So, they're heading down that road. As they travel down the road, the road itself is pretty well made. Uh, the road they came up on was good, but it looks like it was well made, but it's not upkept as much. Um, and uh, this road is definitely caught, kept up more. Oh, Darth Wolf says, can only stay a second, but wanted to drop by to show some support. I appreciate that. And hello, Wolf D Max as well. Hello, hello. Thank you guys for Wolf D Max and Dark Wolf. Two wolves popped in at the same time. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you for stopping by. 
Um, now, uh, as I'd mentioned previously, um, the little village that they rent through where they fought the owl bears and such, there used to be kingdoms past that as well, but two of the kingdoms did not come through the merge. And of the kingdoms around Star's Reach, almost all of them lost a part of their kingdom. It's almost like, um, put it this way. Imagine if the kingdoms were in a circle, Star's Reach in the middle. Not exactly spaced out that way, but overall basic. There were two that were kind of in the souther area. And when the merge happened, it's like somebody took a circle, right? A hole punch. And punched it in the middle of those kingdoms, except instead of being completely round, the bottom was flat a bit. You know what I'm saying? Not completely half a circle, but like three quarters of the way around, and then it's flat. And that punched in, and that's the chunk that came through. Which means all the kingdoms on this edge lost the outer edge of their kingdom. And underneath, those other two kingdoms completely lost. So they didn't come through at all, or maybe just the tiniest bit, one or two of those little villages that was on their outskirts. So that, those roads that go to the south aren't as well kept because the two big trade partners from that area aren't there anymore. But the roads used to be, so they're, they're, they're still just a little wild. Again, the merge at this point happened, what, 17, 18 years ago, I think? I mean, it's, it's been a while, right? Our characters are in their late 30s at this point, except for Artemis, who's a couple hundred and still looks like she's 15. But you know what I'm saying? 16, no. 18. All characters are 18 or above. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so, there are some more t small, different, uh, I want to say towns, as, say settlements that are to the southwest that have started to trade up this area, and that's the caravan that our heroes helped uh, we take up this last time when they fought the hill giants. And uh, that's what, you know, for beneficial surface. That one's starting to trade there a little bit. But southeast, there's nothing. It's just kind of a swampland, and then you get to that area where they found the golem, and it's so far away, no one in Star's Reach gives a damn about that. It's a good chunk of distance. It's actually not, I wouldn't say it's exactly halfway between Serenity and Star's Reach. It's probably a smidge more towards Serenity at that point, um, but not by much. But it's, so it's a long way from Serenity to give a damn, and it's definitely a long way from Star's Reach. We have enough big people to trade with. They don't need to go down there, which is why they probably never come across the, the golems and such, right? But they never really had to deal with that. So they're taking this east road towards that city. And as they travel along the road, they occasionally will come across a traveler or small groups of travelers. Um... These are when they, they, you know, they, everybody looks nervous at their group because, again, it's got a Darsh in it. Everybody's scared of a Darsh. But very quickly, they see Artemis, and everybody loves an Artemis. Since, yeah, said it a billion times in the series, Artemis is their golden ticket. A, a cleric of healing or a cleric of life or light, I mean, uh, those two can go just about anywhere. Followed almost immediately by the. Gods, the clerics of bounty, which is what uh, Kelvin is, because he's a cleric of the, you know about crops and bounty and such. So any farm community loves that type of cleric. They're like, yeah, you want to swing by here and put some blessings on our crops and our livestock? Hell yeah, we would love that. 
That's what they do. They help with that type of thing. And they're also party animals. Totally fun at a party. Uh, <laughs> so they're, uh, they run into small groups of people and such that are traveling from different towns or farms or homesteads in that area. And chatting with some of the people as they pass, they usually have a few minutes. And, and to be honest, standing next to a Darshan and Artemis in a group, someone's going to feel a little safer than just wandering the road in this area. They always get the same thing. What few people do have to travel up and down the main roads at this point, they try to do all their traveling during the day, trying to make it to some type of town, settlement, or the city itself by night, because there have never been an attack by drow during the day. And that's to be expected. Drow's dark vision is better than pretty much any other creature in existence. Uh, even being above ground, where there's moons and stars, would make it a little bit weaker, but it's still incredibly incredibly good so drow again with how they dress and look and act attacking by night is 100 percent up their mo so traveling during the day is relatively safe because sunlight not something the drow really like them same thing as people all hear the rumors they most things they, they you know kind of stuff they've already heard before but they also hear that a lot of the small farmsteads and things that are north of this road so what we would call, if we're looking at the map, right, it would be the northeast section. Closer, closer you get to those mountains that these guys want to go to, more and more farmsteads and stuff have been abandoned and stuff or been attacked and killed. And so less people up here than there used to be. Not that they went that far to begin with because it comes a couple big mountains up there and it's not good farming soil. People south of the area, if we're looking at like a Pac-Man graph, the south all the way up to the, you know, say from 3 o'clock up to midnight, those areas aren't as bad. They still had some problems. There's been next to no problems all the way to the west at around 9 p.m. on the clock. Uh, it's Everything stems from the northeast. So they get this information. Unlike everyone else, they're not trying to get to a town. They're trying to learn things. And at this point, they wouldn't be completely against drow popping up in the middle of the night. I mean, the drow, if they do attack, even if it's a large group, our heroes have got a shot at taking them out. And the drow aren't going to know anything about them and how much experience they have, how much they've worked together, and how good they are at fighting in really crappy conditions like dark. Especially with Mercy. Any drow seeing Mercy is going to be like, oh, a human, they can't see anything. And Mercy has better vision than anybody in the party because of her magical circlet. Let's her see everything no matter how dark anything. So that's a, a, a bonus that they have. They get through the first day of travel. They take a rest. Sleep that night. They are running double guard duty. Right, so the watch, they're doubling up. There's six of them. So they're each able to take a double shot at this point to make sure that they're, you know, drow are sneaky. If someone does manage to get in and cause a problem, a second person may be needed. So they make it through the very first night without any issues at all. Signs of drow, no attack, goes fine. And that's, again, not a surprise, you know, for a couple reasons. One, if the drow are out there, they might be watching to learn about these people. But more likely, there's a huge swath of land up here and there's only so many drow. Doesn't mean they're always everywhere. They could be attacking a caravan right now or they could be asleep you know, enjoying the spoils of the last one that they attacked. You know, there's no way to tell. So the first night goes through without any issues. 
Now, the way that they're setting up their watch in this group, two, or sorry, three groups of two, okay? So they're putting Dandy and they're putting um, Percy together. And that's like a melee and a non-melee. Dandy's pretty much a melee, but you know what I mean. Percy is the one with the worst vision in the group. Well, he, him and Fia both. Uh, then it is Fia and Mercy. Okay? Fia and Mercy, because again, Mercy's ability to see everything will help offset Percy's ability to see nothing. <laughs> I mean, Fia's ability to see nothing. And then the, uh, the last one, of course, that leaves us with Darsh and Artemis. Who Artemis has really good night vision. Darsh has... The, he and Dandy have the weakest night vision, uh, but in melee, he's the strongest. So he or, Ar he or Mercy are always going to be paired up with Artemis when there's a paired-up situation. They just, everybody has to take care of Artemis. <laughs> Every second of the day, how can we keep Artemis safe is a life goal for these people. So uh, the night goes by, no problems. That's, so if I say that's their camping order, that's the camping order for the rest of this adventure, unless the situation changes and I will let you know. So they keep following that road. The next day, they're traveling down the road again, and the, they, they realize that the farther that they're traveling from the city, the less and less travelers they're seeing. Because at this point, people wouldn't probably be able to make it to the city by nighttime, uh, before dark. So they're not taking that gamble. Unless they're traveling in large groups. And the few travelers that they do come across are traveling in groups of no less than eight or ten. And even then, based on you know, talking to them, they're afraid that's not enough. The count by everybody's reckoning is all over the place. How many drow are there? Are there ten or there are a thousand? You know, it's, it's hard to say. From the survivors of each of the caravans that were attacked, it's always the same thing. Oh, it sounded like we were surrounded. There could have been hundreds of them, you know? Um, but you don't ever see that. The few people that have survived attacks on farmsteads, they're like, well, we only saw a few of them. Farmstead would almost be easier to attack than a caravan because there's nowhere for them to go. And how many horses tied up they could hop on and try to run or wagons? Or... So it's hard to get an accurate feel for how many drow they're dealing with. And that's the group's biggest concern. Because, you know, taking out a group of drow that are dangerous, yes. Taking out an army of drow that are dangerous might be beyond their capabilities. And they've discussed it. You know, if it gets to that point, they get there where there's literally, it looks like a drow invasion is going to take over this land. Mercy has had to consider, do I go home and bring my army up here? Do I bring my army up and help these people? Because if I do, I'm taking that army from protecting my own people. It's, it's, I would think that as, as a king or queen myself, if I was in that role, that's a hard decision. You don't want people to be losing their lives up there. But while I'm up there saving them, who's taking care of my people? I come home and find out another undead attack has happened and half my kingdom's wiped out. That's not good either. So it's a tough spot for Mercy to be in. Darsh has a small army of his own, but they're spread across ships and islands and Darshtopia. It would take a lot more for Darsh to gather his people. Uh, but once his ships are together, his fleet at this point is, is, is quite a bit. It's not enough to take on, like, Paxawal or Kronayar's navy by any means. Uh, but he might be able to take out Arduels. Definitely could take out Thormans. We're not even going to talk about the dwarves. They've got, like, two ships at this point, maybe three. They're not a big thing. 
Uh, but Darsh has a large amount of manpower, but for him to try to get him up here, he can't march thousands of people through that, that mirror. No way that's going to stay a secret. So it just wouldn't make sense for Darsh to be able to bring anybody up here. So this is something that they they talk about while they're traveling, and they only they, they keep it kind of hushed. They're not talking wildly and loudly about where they're. In case there are well hearing drow elves hidden, even though it's daytime, listening in what they're saying. So they continue on, and near the end of that evening, they come across this small town late afternoon. They decide to spend the night there. Again, as mercenaries, getting some drinks, hanging out, getting a meal, getting some, hanging out in the inn or the bar and hearing some of the local stories, get information as much as they can. It's going to slow down their trip a little bit, but they decide to take that chance. They pull up into this small town, so small, I technically don't have a name for it right now, but if you really need one, let me know. I'll come up with one right off. I've got one, okay? It's called Bear's Den. So they're in a small town called the Bear's Den. It's a... it's just a little bit of rolling hills in that area. Grizzly bear story that went on uh, from the time that it was created. Uh, so it's based on a, a fable from the area. Uh, Max asks, what time is it in your zone? It is 8.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, everything I post and stream is based on Eastern Standard Time, where I am. Eastern United States, Tennessee, to be exact. Um, but they go in, they go in there and... Uh, they find a, a, a it's a it's small enough town. There's only one in. It's known as the Grotto, and they go in there. And it's a I wouldn't say it's seedy. It's not a dirty inn, but it's definitely a a cheaper inn. It's not a place that a lot of people stay. Uh, it's clean and such, but it's not like an immaculately huge thing. It was you know built kind of out of whatever. Um, but the people there are nice enough. The town is small, and and not many people have left it. People you know, they get to the inn at night. They find the inn surprisingly busy and eating and drinking. And once again, Artemis coming in and everybody, and she giving a blessing to everyone and everybody feeling way better about that, that this lady cleric of healing has walked into town with her big tough guards who can protect us, um, has a mage and a Templar and a Minotaur and this little girl who looks like she can wield a minute, uh, morning star pretty well. And then there's a kender, but we're going to let that slide. <laughs> Usually, it's like, you guys are great. We love having you around. Not so much the kender, but we're going to let it slide because we like the rest of you the most. Um, so, there are just, you know, they get taken in. Like always, Artemis spends the first 30 minutes looking at people's bumps and bruises, right? Uh, I, I always imagine that when Artemis comes into a town, She's immediately flocked with two groups of people, right? There's the people who have something really wrong or a family member who's really sick that they really need that help. And then you've got your hypochondriacs. Like, I'm sure I've got the plague. Can you please get rid of it? You don't have the plague. I'm telling you the plague. Everything hurts. My teeth are falling out. My hair is falling out. All you eat are hot pockets. I'm telling you, you don't have the plague. Get some, get some vitamins. You've got scurvy. You know, that kind of a thing. And uh, <laughs> they're like, come on now, just settle down. Um, but yeah, there are times where they'll get into a town where someone will show up, and, like just a farmer holding his hat in hand. He's like, hey, I'm real sorry. I heard you were in town. My wife's been sick for three days, and I don't think she's going to make it through the night. Would you mind checking on her? And in the middle of adventure, Artemis is like, yep, let's go. Mercy doesn't even question it. She sets her drink down, grabs her hat. All right, let's go. Because, you know, she's not going to let Artemis go by herself. It could be a trap. Um, 
But it's very common for Artemis to get pulled away to things like that. And if it's, you know, the, the people who are mid-range, the people who have something wrong, but it's not that bad, they don't want to trouble anybody, you know? Those folks, those are folks who stay in the back who probably need it way more than the hypochondriacs, of course. But she spends the first 30 minutes checking people's bumps and bruises and ingrown ha- nails or whatever the case is going on. And then she finally gets to sit down and chat. It finds out that a lot of people come to the inn in the evening mostly to be around other people. Um, this town was, uh, again, just a, it's along the road, but these people uh, are, are mostly fur traders. There's a lot of animals in the southern area around here, uh, not just bears. That's one of the reasons why it was built here, because there's bear pelts, foxes, wolves, and other things. Um, beavers, beavers. We'll say there's some beavers in this area as well. Um, and so they... It's most, so a lot of the folks, it's, you know, not a lot of big families with kids. It's a lot of single guys and ladies who are uh, there, you know, trying to make a living in a, in a tough profession. Go out in the woods and live out there for days, come back with your pelts, and then try to sell them in the city or wherever. Um, so there's more of those folks. And those folks are spending less time outside the city at night. They're not camping out like they used to. There's, uh, you hear stories that there's a few people that went out there to get pelts and skins and such, and they never came back. People that have been in the area for a long time who've just gone missing. Did they get taken by jar? Did they move on because things were too dangerous? People don't know. But people are afraid to be out there at night. So they go out and hunt during the day. They don't go as far, which means pickings are a lot less because the people that are doing it are all doing it in the same small geographic area. This is uh, putting a little bit of hardship on the innkeeper who also deals in those skins. He buys them and then he has employee or a son or someone that he sends into the city itself to sell them in the market, making more money than he's paying for them. But the people who are hunting them, that's how that works. They know he's selling them for more. He gives them a good price. He's good. It doesn't matter. They don't have to go in there and sell them themselves. Um, But at this point, less are coming in. He can't afford to really pay more, so business is bad all the way around. Although the inn is booming in the evening. So there's plenty of people to talk to, and everybody has a story about the drow. I was out there, and I almost had this fox, and all of a sudden it took off in a direction. I knew it's because there was a drow out there. It was just watching me from somewhere. I could feel its evil eyes staring at me from somewhere. And I looked all over, and I couldn't see it, but we all drow are magical and invisible and you know, wear pointy hats. And these, all these weird, crazy stories. But our heroes are listening to them. They're looking for those nuggets of truth or those nuggets of commonality between the... Yeah, I saw this one, this, 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 this. But he says that one thing that four other people have said. Okay. Four people, well, the rest of it may be embellishment, but they've all said that exact same thing. So that's potentially a true thing that they, they did have an experience with the drow. They're just blowing out of proportions except for that tidbit. And Dandy, of course, is also taking tons of notes. She has a little notepad in her bag. She takes it out with papers, scrolling stuff down. She is an undead hunter, but she's also a side drow hunter. She knows a lot about them. And anytime she can get more information, the better. Again, in town, the night goes by without any problems. As to be expected. The town itself, what they learned, has never been attacked by drow. Um, and they're on the south side of the road, but I mean, not like the drow are afraid to cross the road. It, people in the south have been attacked. Everywhere. But they don't seem to go that far down past the road. The drow seem to keep north of the road in most situations. I mean, and when I say that, I mean, I should word this correctly. If somebody's coming down the road and they get attacked, the drow are on both sides of the road. Again, I don't want to give off an implication like the road has some significance. No, it's just all the stuff that they attack 
is closer to their house in the northern eastern hemisphere of this circle. That's why most of the bad stuff happens up there because they can rob people, kill people, take their stuff and get back to their caves before they have to worry about any real force chasing them down. So, they get up the next morning, buy a couple supplies, make it look good, carry on their way. So at this point, this is their third day traveling. They know that they're supposed to make it to this town by the fourth day. If they'd have rushed really fast, probably could have made it much quicker. But they're, they're trying to learn what they can, and they're, and they're trying to you know, not show so much urgency. They know that, I think it was nine days, no, ten days before that caravan comes through. So there is a, there is a time that they're on here. But they're, they're trying to get as much info before they march into the drow. Because the more they have, the better chance they have of surviving. Drow are not easy things to mess with. So they travel this third day. Now, on this day, they run into their first incident. Uh, the incident itself being a bear. The bear itself, they thought they were going to have to fight it. There was a bear literally just chilling on the side of the road. It was just kind of hanging out there, napping under a tree. And as they got close, it hops up. And it's a big old grizzly bear. And they're like, okay, do we have to fight a grizzly bear? <laughs> Rather not fight a grizzly bear. And Darsh is like, yeah, get on there. You know, trying to scare it away. Because they're like, we just took out owlbears. Grizzly bear, grizzly bears we could do all day. But they're not as tasty as owlbears. When Darsh did have to promise not to cook any of the meat till he got home, because... Cooked owlbear meat is stanky. We've talked about that. <laughs> so, um, they're worried about this bear. They decide to kind of go off into the woods a little bit to avoid the bear. They come off the road and they're trying to traveling through the woods. And that's where the real incident. Something spooks Fia's horse. Something in the leaves, something on the ground, and the, the brushes are you know, knee-high. Or you could say knee-deep, if you will, for the horses. Something spooks Fia's horse. And she is the least experienced rider. The horse rears up and then takes off through the woods. Fia, like, crying out, like, ah, what do I do? You know, because she doesn't, she's not experienced at riding a horse. She's never really done that. So the rest of the group has to rush off after her. And the horse is just running blindly. And they're trying to be a bit more careful because if her and her horse go off a cliff or hit a hole or something like that, they have to worry about these things, right? They're going a little bit quickly, but a bit more cautiously as well. Calm, cool, and collected. It takes them a while. Almost, say, 20 minutes to catch up. It's a long time. But the wood's very dense in this area. And I will say they are on the north side of the road, which the bear was on the south. And they're rushing through, you know, that section. And as they're rushing through, they finally catch up to her. Her horse had finally calmed down, but wasn't willing to move. It was just kind of, you know, standing there. So they show up, and Mercy, of course, hops down. She's basically a horse whisperer at this point. Horse is what she does. Um, this being the only horse that doesn't come from her stables, you know, she's got it. She's Trying to get a better feel for it, of course. But uh, she gets down. She's talking to the horse, soothing it. Checks it. The horse doesn't have any real injuries. A few scratches from brambles that it rushed through. And maybe hit a stick here and there. A little sliver of wood stuck in and pulls that out. But nothing real bad that the horse is in trouble. Which is good. 
They decide to let the horse rest for a couple of minutes. Or, you know, get, catch the breath. They tie the horses up to the horse. The, the area they're in now is kind of cleared up. They're still in the trees, of course, but the, the underbrush isn't quite as thick here. So they're going to let the horses graze a little bit. They're going to maybe sit down, have a lunch early. So they find a spot not too far away. It's not really a clearing, but it's just a wide enough space. They're not going to be hitting against trees. Danny makes a little fire. Like, ah, we'll warm up something, eat something real quick. Take a, give the horses a rest, and we'll carry on our way. As everyone's, you know, doing their tasks, checking the horses, Percy's helping Mercy. hate that those names rhyme now that I'm saying them together. <laughs> Percy and Mercy are both working the horses, Percy being very well experienced with horse training. They're kind of checking the horses, checking the mole to make sure they're okay, because they all are running, checking the horseshoes. Um, Artemis and uh, Fia are cooking up something, and Darsh and Dandy are doing... Uh, basic duties, getting some trees, digging a little small, quick latrine, looking for a source of fresh water to refill their canteens. Again, they have a lot of water in the chest of holding, but they try to keep it there unless they really, really need it. So, Dandy's out wandering around in the woods, looking for sticks, and, you know, chasing butterflies. Dandy still has that. Even though she's a bit older now and her wanderlust is cooled down, and she's definitely become more serious than the regular, normal Kender you come across, mostly from the experiences and the things and the losses she's had to go through. Um, she still can get lost for 20 minutes chasing a butterfly. And she's chasing a butterfly because it was a cool color of green. She'd never seen a butterfly of that color. She didn't want to catch it. She wished she could show everybody else, even though they may not care that much. Artemis always cares, but, you know, she feels like wish she could bring it back, but she does afraid of hurting it. Pretty butterfly. And she's going after the butterfly, and then she stops and drops down into a crouch. Very quickly, small as she is, down in the underbrush. Dandy heard a noise. Yeah. Potentially, could have been the sound of an animal nearby. Deer, perhaps, even a rabbit. Dandy didn't think so. Didn't sound like that. So Dandy's up a little bit, waiting. The sound doesn't repeat itself. Dandy's concerned in her adventures. She was chasing her butterfly. She wasn't really trying to be quiet. Naturally, she's exquisitely quiet. She wasn't really trying to The chance something might have seen her. And in this moment, she's mad at herself, literally angry at herself. This is serious time. These are drow dedicated half of our life to finding this guy. That could be him out there right now, and I'm chasing a freaking butterfly. You know, she gets mad at herself for not being as carefree, being too carefree like she used to be. She waits and doesn't hear any other sounds. She takes a moment to start searching, very, very quietly moving through the grass, stopping every so often, listening. There's no sound. She's probably there 30, 40 minutes. She might have stayed there longer, but then she started hearing the calls of her name. She'd been gone a little bit too long. Darsh had come to find her. So Darsh is like, Andy, can you imagine? Dandy. <laughs> Not yelling it. I mean, he's, he's also concerned about Drow, but he's also like, Dandy, you out here? Where are you at? Dandy. Okay? You know, because he's worried about his little friend, right? 
at that moment, Dandy's like, well, there's no keeping us hidden at this point. So she kind of gets up and she goes back to Darcy. She says, I heard something. Now, Kendra's saying that to someone probably wouldn't be a big deal 99% of the time, but Darsh knows Dandy way, way better than most people know a Kendra. Dandy wouldn't say, I heard something, unless she thought it was something that was a problem. Darsh nods and immediately starts getting quiet. And they start to look around themselves. It only takes her about 10 minutes to find it. And it's the remains of what was very likely a small campsite. A small fire that's still smoldering, probably tended within the last hour. And there, the ground there is a little bit damp on one side, just from a puddle of rain or whatever. And there's the edges of footprints. Dandy, checking the prints, it's hard to make them out, but they appear to be human or elven size. The boots appear to be made of relatively good material. They don't seem worn or rugged or chewed up on the bottom in the tread. But... It's not something she can just say, ooh, that belongs to a 1993, this type of boot. It doesn't work like that. You can say, this is a man-sized person. Looking around, she can tell there's only one set of footprints. Once they get to the drier area, they disappear, and it becomes harder. In fact, at that point, it's almost like whoever it was was trying to Now, there's no bedrolls, there's nothing lied around here, so whoever had their stuff took their stuff, but someone was out here. Dandy has to worry, Was and she's in, inwardly kicking herself, this could have been a drow scout, and now they know that they're out here. That could be a problem for board. Not finding anything else, they make their way back to the clearing where the rest of the party's hanging out, who at this point are worried... But at the same time, keeping their place, because A, if Darsh and them do come back needing help, they don't want to be all off looking. Plus, they know if something attacks Darsh, no one in a quarter mile is not going to hear that man yell out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ah! <laughs> if Darsh screams, everybody knows. They finally return. Everyone is happy to see that Dandy's okay, but not happy at the information that she gives. Someone might have seen them. It could have been a scout. It's definitely someone who was pretty good at keeping their tracks hidden, because once they realized they wanted to, there weren't any more. Now, of course, no one, even for a moment, thinks to blame Dandy for it. No reason to. She didn't do anything wrong, but in Dandy's head, she did. She, was, she wasn't taking this serious enough in the moment, and it could have cost them much more trouble than they need. Now the drow may know they're coming, might be better prepared, and someone she cares about could get hurt because of that. And so for the next little while, Dandy definitely gets a bit quieter, being much more observant. Her friends pick up on that, and they can realize why. They know she's blaming herself, and as much as they want to say it's not your fault, she's kind of got to let her get through that. And she's a kender. It won't be long till another butterfly pops in or something, and her spirit will lighten up a little bit, but definitely she's feeling a little bit of that. Uh, going to get some sleep now. 2.30 in your time zone. A.M., I'm assuming. Well, not a problem, Wolf D-Max. Thank you for coming by, sir. Hope you have yourself a wonderful evening. Thanks for swinging with us. They make their way back to the road. Takes a little bit longer because they're not racing after horses this time. But that's definitely cost them some time. There was a chance they might have made it to this village either late at night before they camped or early, relatively early once they started out. But now, 
probably going to be midday tomorrow before they make it to that town. Cost them a bit of time they hadn't expected. There's more things everybody's kicking themselves for. Um, but they carry on. They get to the evening. By the time they do, they've traveled as far. They push themselves a little bit harder to try to make up some of that lost time. Uh, but they are still kind of out in the middle of nowhere when they have to go ahead and camp for the night. This area is very highly forested. Very much the area they're going through is highly forested. Very easily, could this be an area for lumber specifically? There's a lot of trees here. Mercy looks at these type of things. Darsh as well. And he's like, yes, this wood's not bad. It's not phenomenal wood, but it'd be good for stuff. Build furniture out of it, homes and such. You're not going to be making a lot of high-quality weapons. Darsh wouldn't use any of this wood to make a boat, by God. But, you know, for regular homes and things of that nature, this would be fine, framework and such. So it just kind of goes to show that the city doesn't need that. And that's kind of the point I'm making with this. How would they, they don't need that type of business because they're making so much money just from trading and on the other kingdoms and how they trade through there, which is nice, right? They don't have to go out there and work the, that kind of jobs. And there's still people that are, still needs wood, but it doesn't have to be a huge industry for them. They decide to get off the road to camp. And this time they decide to go south of the road camp they found was on the north side of the road. They decided to go about 15 minutes off of the, the road itself. So that way some you know, they do have a little cook fire. It's not that visible from the road. They keep it very small and they keep it guarded. And by that I mean they literally hang up like blankets and stuff to help keep the light hidden in. But you can do that. Put on some spikes. Done that myself. When you don't want smoke to blow into the tents when you're camping you can take two tent poles Put a blanket or something in between. The smoke will billow around it and go around the tent. Helps a little bit, but not a whole lot. I mean, it's enough to keep you from... If someone's sleeping in there, we go camping. You got some kids who go to bed early. You know, I'm hacking on camping, campfire smoke. Because Lord knows the smoke will switch directions in a heartbeat. Man, I miss cooking marshmallows. <laughs> Sorry, fat guy moment. So, <laughs> so, they set up their camp. And again, they go into their... Resting groups. So the first group again, if you remember, well, the last group today is Artemis and Darsh, right? Sophia and Mercy. Dandy. First turn. So they're only about an hour into their first watch when once again, Dandy hears something move. Now, at this point, they've put the fire out. Completely doused it with water. No light coming from it at all. Darsh only snores a little bit. But in the sounds of creaking trees, it's not too, too loud that people would hear. But a drow could. A very good hearing. Dandy and Percy are together because Percy can't see a damn thing at this point. It's, I mean, there's a bit of moonlight, but they're under trees, right? So it's mostly shade. But he's right there with Dandy. And they've talked about this. They've traveled together before. He's smart enough to know the signs when Dandy gives them. She doesn't scream, well, gaga, 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 like a bird noise or anything. But she does, you know, let him know that she hears something. He has his weapon out, but on the ground with some leaves on it. Hide the light from reflecting on the blade. His hand's on the handle. He lift it up anytime he wants. 
<clears throat> but he has some leaves and stuff pulled over it to keep it from reflecting off any light. This is an intelligent thing that people do. I researched it. I didn't know that, but it makes sense once you hear about it. Oh, you don't have to draw your shink in the middle of the, you know, if you think something's coming. You don't have to do all that. It's right there. Your hand's already on it. You just lift it up, and it's no longer under some leaves. Smart move. I never knew, never, never dawned on me somebody might do that. So he's ready in case there's trouble. Dandy leaves him. This is understood to happen. Dandy's going to try to pinpoint where the noise is and if it's a problem. He's ready at the first sound or peep she makes to start calling out for help, jump up, right? And now, shing, he's got his sword out. He could still fight pretty decently in the dark, even against a drow. Blind fighting, again, second edition stat and something he has. If you have questions about that, let me know. Dandy, at this point, moves away from Percy towards the sound she heard. What she heard was clearly movement. It didn't seem centralized. It sounded like more than one. <clears throat> and didn't sound like it was coming closer. And while this was going on and she's starting to move, the sound fades and disappears. In her mind, something has passed them by. She is going to assume it's the greatest of luck that they didn't get overtaken by whoever that group was. Because again, if it was drow, smell smoke in the air, the tiniest, tiniest bit of heat still coming off the fire, drow would notice that. But maybe they had some bigger thoughts on their mind. And weren't close enough to quite see those things. Danny goes back to the group. Once the sounds, they don't hear any further. The sounds were heading east. Coming from the west towards the east. She makes her way back to the group. By this point, Percy, she's been gone a few minutes. Percy has very quietly woken everyone up. Everybody's ready, waiting for something from Dandy. Dandy comes back and whispers that she didn't see it was, but it was more than a certain group or more than one person moving in this central direction. It did not sound like animals passing through. I would assume those sound different. A deer casually walking through with its four feet is going to sound different than a group of people walking through, even if they're being quiet. And even though a drow are super good at being quiet, this is the woods. It's not normally the place they would hang out, stepping on a twig or something like that. Whereas above ground elves wouldn't have as much of that problem. You get them down in the underdark and they're probably echoing like crazy where a drow would be like, why are you doing that? So... You grow up in the Underdark for two or three hundred years and then come to the woods, probably going to make more noise than someone who's lived in it. They were counting on that to hopefully clue them into these drow moving around. They decide they're going to try to follow them. Now, this means that the party's going to go really slow and Dandy's going to go ahead without them. It's the best way for Dandy to keep track of them or try to catch up with them and get a sight of them. And it does put her in a bit more danger because, again, if anybody's going to notice her, it's going to be the drow. So she has to be on the top of her game in this situation. Because if she's not, very good chance she's going to get caught. Normally she doesn't have to worry about that. Again, I've talked about this before. Dandy's stats and skills as a player through the roof at this point. Most of her abilities are maxed out for a rogue. Hide and shadow moves silently. That kind of stuff is super high, but that she gets huge negatives when it's let me phrase it. That doesn't count towards the huge buffs that Drow would get in that situation. So she's moving quietly, cautiously, prepared for everything, which is what they always said every time they moved anywhere. 
She doesn't hear any movement anymore. She's heading that direction. They travel for about 15, 20 minutes. Dandy doing her best not to get too far ahead of her friends, but still saying just barely in range to hear them so it doesn't affect her other hearing. When suddenly, about that time, there's a small explosion. At least that's what it sounds like. Followed by yells and screams. Now, the rest of the group hear this up ahead of them. First thought is, dandy! And they start racing forward. At this point, Percy, who's been sitting here waiting for that opportunity, tells Faya, and Faya casts her spell. Faya, again, new to this kind of stuff. Faya casts her spell and light. Faya does not have a staff. Uh, have a wand. She does have a walking staff she just picked up while they were traveling, but she doesn't have a magical staff of any kind. So she does cast light, which gives them, her and uh, Percy, a chance to be able to run through the woods without tripping over everything. For the uh, Darsh and Artemis, it's going to throw off their infravision a little bit. They should be okay. To Mercy, it has no effect whatsoever. She runs right on through. So they start charging forward to try to help Dandy. The explosion happened ahead of Dandy. Dandy stopped. When her friends catch up, they can hear the sounds of combat in the distance. And they automatically can only guess someone's under attack by the drow. Now the tracks that they've been going, the path has been heading north, which means they're getting close to the road again. They can hear hoots and hollerings and things and so on and so forth. And some words and such being yelled to others in languages that none of them can quite make out. As close as they try, they're moving slowly. They're not racing forward at this point because they don't want to just run in and get killed. That would be stupid. They are carefully moving forward quickly as they can. And it's not long before they can see sight of the road. And sure enough, up ahead, there appears to be a caravan parked on the north side of the road, a little clearing there. <clears throat> and they appear to be under attack from something in the woods. This small caravan is literally small. Maybe six or seven wagons. Not huge. Maybe 20, 25 people. From the sounds, even themselves can hear that there are a multitude of different row or whatever in the woods around there, hooting and yelling to each other. They have to make a decision. Do we run into the woods and try to find the drow? Or do we run into the camp and try to protect the people? Percy and Faye are going to be almost useless running around the woods trying to find a drow. So they very quickly decide that they're going to make their way into the, the, to the campsite and try to help defend. If they can catch a drow or two on the way, awesome. Mercy's going to go that way because Artemis is going to go that way because there could be people there that are hurt. The only one who's not going to go is going to be Dandy. <clears throat> Dandy's going to continue to try to go through the woods and find some of the drow. If she can find even one or two and take it out, that's a perk. And maybe they'll get a little bit more information. They go rushing into the camp. Now again, everything is, there's no, they don't see any drow. Everything is ranged attack. 
Sure enough, arrows are being shot or crossbow bolts, probably a combo of both, to be honest, are firing from the trees. Darsh comes charging in, screaming. Because no one's expecting that. Right? No one's expecting a giant minotaur to come out of the darkness, screaming. And for just a moment, everybody stops. And very likely, everybody on both sides point their weapons at Darsh. Darsh is expecting this. Mercy is running beside Artemis. Percy is trying to protect Theo with his sword. Three of these people have swords. Darsh has a sword. Percy has a or sorry, shield. Darsh has a shield. Percy has a shield. Mercy has a shield. So they're trying to help protect Artemis and Thea from any arrow shots. Darsh got a little bit ahead on that. And he starts yelling, two arms, two arms and such. And, he, and Mercy and them come rushing in and we're here to help kind of thing. And then arrows start shooting, bouncing off of Darsh, his shield. And when Percy and Mercy and Darsh start taking some arrows, the caravan's like, oh, the drow are shooting at them. They can't be with the drow. That kind of a concept. is So they come rushing in and everybody starts jumping behind wagons to protect themselves. And Some of the uh, caravan people are humans. They have some crossbows and bows themselves and they're trying to shoot back into the woods although they can't quite see who's shooting at them. And the, the drow aren't staying in one place. They're moving around. The arrows keep popping from where and where. And for the humans, all humans in this group, for the humans, uh, you can tell they're definitely concerned. The hooting and hollering is from everywhere. It's very unnerving. But for Dandy, it's a benefit. So she's doing her best to try to get close to them without letting them know she's coming. And Finally, well, this battle's all ensuing over there, she sees in the moonlight a silhouette of a human or elven-sized shape next to a tree. I say human or elven because they're this, roughly the same size. Elves are a bit thinner, so this one looks a bit thinner, anything. But I'm humanoid is what I mean. It's not like a halfling or a kender or a gnome or something like that. So when I say humanoid, that's what I mean. So... She sees one, and she's like, okay. And she can see from the movement that the person is shooting a bow. All she needed. That's it. Doesn't care who or what it is at this point. This is someone hiding in the woods, shooting arrows at that innocent caravan. Even if these aren't the drow, they're still bad people. That's the way Dandy looks at it. She wasn't just going to stab a person in the dark, but she sees that person shoot an arrow towards Darshan, friends. That's it. I'm good. So Dandy starts slowing down and getting quieter. And Dandy sure enough does. It doesn't take her long before she's almost directly behind the silhouette. And she can see in the reflection the pointed ears. And she can see the white hair. And she knows that she's standing behind a drow. And that's enough to make Dandy not hesitate Mercy and Darsh and Percy are helping to get the wounded back where Artemis can heal them in a bit of a protected space. At this point, Darsh has taken a bow and arrow from one of the humans that fell and is using to shoot arrows back in. Now, depending on the bow you have, he indeed should be further, if you have a bow and you have an arrow and I shoot it or you shoot it or Darsh shoots it, it's going to do pretty much the same damage. It's a bow. There's a bow called a composite bow. 
Composite bow is much harder to pull the arrow back. It's much tauter or tighter, if you will. And a composite bow, in, probably in real life too, but in Dungeons & Dragons, if you can pull back a composite bow, you get your strength bonus. Because the stronger you are, the further you can pull that arrow back, the harder it's going to shoot that arrow forward. So if you have a long bow or a short bow, the only difference is how far you can shoot an arrow. If you have a composite longbow, you're going to shoot at the same distance usually as a longbow, maybe a little further, but it's going to have a way bigger punch. And sure enough, there's at least one in the group, and Darsh gets his hands on it. So he starts grabbing arrows from whoever has spare arrows. People are tossing them to him, and Darsh starts shooting arrows into the trees. And very quickly, you can hear the shouting change a little bit, and now there's almost sounds of warning or concern. His Darch's arrows are hitting a tree, and there's a big, loud thunk when his arrows hit. And at one point, Darsh, because again, he's shooting as well as he can blindly into the dark. These people had a fire, so his infravision's not working well. He's shooting towards the best direction he can that the arrows are coming from. And with one shot, he knows he hits money. He hears the person drow scream out in pain and injury. We're following a huge thunk noise. He's like, I don't know where I hit him. I sure as hell hit him. Darsh is like, ha ha! <laughs> he grabs more, and now he's encouraged. And the people hearing it too are like, yeah, okay, cool. This guy's really helping. And it kind of makes the people who were at a few minutes ago think, we're dead. I have a chance of surviving this. And best of all, Artemis is already healing the people who've been injured. And several of the people that, you know, as you'd imagine when the drow attack, they're going to shoot the people on guard, which is usually your protective people, right? People on guard are going to be your mercenaries or your bodyguards. That's who's guarding the caravan at night. So those are some of the first ones to take arrows. They get shot before the drow start yelling. Some of those, the ones she could, she managed to heal. They're back up defending again. These are people more trained than the merchants and the farmers in this caravan trying to bring their stuff. So this is going to help turn the tide of battle a little bit. Uh, Jim says, usually a composite bow has several pulleys to help weaker people pull harder. So yes, you're already strong. It's a huge shot. Very much so. Very much so. And of course, back in medieval time areas, they didn't really have the pulleys. The pulley for the modern one? Oh my God, modern composite bows are the bomb. I got to shoot one one time. It did not go far. I was young and I was not strong. Now I'm old and I'm not strong. It probably wouldn't go much further. Um, but yeah, back then it was it was more of the just. I loved that. I love I loved bows. I never play a character that used one. Once in a while I've had a ranger, uh, but I love the the concept of the technology and how bows work. I love this. The world's earliest missiles. So. Um, they're fighting off, and they're starting to feel like, okay, this is working. We're starting to turn the tide. We've only taken out a few drow, but the, the arrows are coming less at us. We've got them concerned. Because the drow are having to stay undercover more. They can't just stand in the woods and shoot people as much as they want. Because now Darsh's arrows are coming in. And then another one screams out. Dandy knew that she hit a vital organ with her first and only stab she was going to need. She had to fight the temptation not to stab it a few more times just to be sure. But she remembered she had to keep her anger in check. Just as she was angry at herself earlier for being too playful and not serious enough, she can't allow herself to be too vengeful either. Besides, there are more drow here. She got the drow square in the back of the neck. She knows he's not going to be moving as his body crumples to the ground. She starts immediately moving back and trying to get around another one. 
What she didn't know, that first drow was not alone. And as she appears out of the shadows, it hit his companion, the drow moves forward to attack Dandy. Dandy finds herself immediately in melee combat with someone with a mighty sharp sword. And then about that time, there's a large thud. And then another. The creaking and cracking of trees as they fall over and are broken. Darsh immediately throws the bow to the ground and draws his sword out of his bracelet. Mercy gets beside him and prepares, nodding. Percy, is, she, he nods and he stays with Artemis because they all know what's coming as the hill giant breaks through the trees onto the road. This hill giant, a little bit different than the hill giant they saw, the two they fought previously. This is a hill giant who's armored. Now, I'm not saying a full set of plate mail. Can you imagine a hill giant-sized suit of plate mail? Wouldn't that look awesome standing in front of your castle? Like, really? But it definitely has some type of tough leather clothing on its legs and arms and such, so there's no bare arms and legs showing. And it is wearing some type of large, what appears to be stitched boots. Probably some type of, again, leather that's been hardened and toughened and sewed together. It would take large amounts of horse or cow skins to make a pair of boots for a hill giant. And it is carrying a club, which is, you know, not uncommon for a hill giant. But this club is not just a normal club. There appears to be large metal spikes coming out of it. Now, it doesn't look perfectly crafted. They're not equally lined up. It's got jagged spikes sticking out the end, but it looks mighty sturdy. And some of those spikes are the size of Darsh's legs, if not bigger. One of those spikes could be the, literally the death nail for any one of these folks. So, seeing that threat immediately, Darsh and Mercy prepare to go into combat. Via who's been helping Artemis as best she can, Artemis says, basically, go help them. I got Percy here. Go help them. And she only has her few magic missiles, but again, she hits whatever she wants. Magic missile in the eyeball will get your attention. Now, the Hill Giant's wearing some type of, I wouldn't call it a helmet, but wouldn't really call it a hat either. It's almost like leather that's just hanging off the top of his head, probably sewn together to be almost like a, I don't know, like a soft, like a soft hat, but tougher leather. It's going to protect his ears and a little bit of the back of his neck. So this, this is a hill giant who, who's seen some combat and is prepared. Darsh and Mercy see this and they're like, okay, this is, the last ones were hard. This one could be harder. This, the, it's already moving towards the caravan. Darsh and Mer Mercy rush away from the caravan. The last thing they want is this thing's club in range of any of those poor innocent people back there. Now, again, there's some cries from the woods, this time a bit more happy from the words that they're sounding. It sounds like they're happy to see the hill giant. And the arrows start shooting back out again a little bit faster. Faye is staying back with the wagons. She can shoot her magic missiles and stuff from back there. And she begins to do so. Starts popping them at the hill giant, which slows the hill giant down. Before Darsh and Mercy ever get there, she, it's already taken a couple magic missiles to the face. 
Because of her level, Fia can shoot two magic missiles at a time. Uh, again, at least by second edition rules, uh, you a mage can shoot 1d4. No, I'm sorry. It does 1d4 plus 1 damage, if I'm correct. And a magic missile always hits its target as long as you can see it. And then the third thing is, you can shoot an additional magic missile for every three levels. So to put that in perspective, she's about a fifth level character hanging out with a group of level 13s and 14s. As a bit of a side, if you're ever a DM, that's a rough spot to be in. It is hard to put a monster or creature that challenges the 13s and 14s. That's just not way too easy to kill the level 5s and 6s. That's um, why it's very important to keep your party balanced. Uh, because it's, it's, it's much easier to keep it fun. Not impossible to do it in this situation. But it is harder. Especially if one of your low-level characters is a warrior. Because there's nothing they can do but walk in and do damage melee. Unless they're a rangement warrior. But you know what I mean. If Darsh was level 5 and everybody else was level 14, Darsh would probably die in most fights. Because he's just not going to have the survivability, but there's nothing else he can do except run in and chop people. Isn't that as an example? So the hill giant is like, Shwa, Jedi! And he has his club. And Darsh and Mercy arrive. Darsh did not use his boots of charging. When he's saving them, for all he knows, he may have to grab Mercy and get the hell out of there. That's happened. They've used the boots to escape as well as to attack. Secondly, he doesn't want to race ahead and leave Mercy behind. One, that puts him in melee with the giant first. Nobody really wants that. And it leaves Mercy to potentially be a bigger arrow target behind him. So they're running forward with their, air, with their shields kind of on opposites. You know, keeping the shields out. The arrows are coming from all around, but they're actually coming mostly from the south this time. The opposite side of where the caravan's coming. That's the side that Dandy's on. Dandy's never crossed the Speaking of, Dandy rolls backwards and comes up to her feet very quickly, fast enough to deflect the blow of the sword. Dandy and this drow have been dancing back and forth for a couple of minutes now. He's not an amazing fighter, but he's pretty good. And his weapon is giving him a much longer reach. And it's clear, his improvision, the darkness is not affecting him. Dandy can only assume it's helping him where it's slightly hurting her. Her vision's just not as good. One thing for her, she's very dexterous and very small, so he's having a hard time getting a hit. He snagged her one time, got a small cut on her arm, but she's managed to cut him multiple times across the legs, and it's really making him angry. Um, he's not keeping his cool because his thrashes are starting to become a bit more wild, which, again, surprising for a drow, but... Who knows, right? I mean, somebody came up and starts slashing my legs around the knees. I'm going to get a little upset as well. There's other important things down there. I don't want to get knifed either. Definitely by the figure, she's fighting a male. But in the darkness, she can only really see his shape. They're going his long white hair, obviously. I mean, you know who it is. This one's at least tied back a little bit. But the person's pretty well trained with a sword. This is just no slouch, which is what they'd expect. Drow, you don't send drow on a mission unless they know what they're doing. So she's doing her best to defend and get in hits when she can, but she's concerned because these little nicks and stuff she's doing while irritating are not going to kill this dude. She cannot get in close enough to get a real kill shot. So she's going to have to think outside of the box. At this point, Darsh and Mercy are completely inside the box of range of this hill giant. 
the hill giant, instead of just immediately swinging the club down, takes a step back first. Surprise to Mercy and Dark. Takes a step back and uses that extra second to assess what's coming up. Darsh is big. He's not hill giant big. Bigger than a lot of things hill giants are going to come across. Giants very often pride themselves on their size. The bigger of them are usually going to be their leaders. You look at the more the different types of giants, the more powerful giants just keep getting bigger and bigger. So if this guy's coming, he's not giant big, but he's bigger than human big. What does that mean? He could be he could be better. If this guy knows what a minotaur is, might also know he's a pretty bar, pretty hard fighter. That's something to be considered with. So it takes a step back, which for him is like ten steps for everybody else, to assess his situation and then starts moving in. It's at this point they see that on one arm, it has some type of buckler. So a buckler is a very small shield, usually strapped to the back of the other hand, your offhand. It's small enough that you're not going to be blocking arrows and such with it that much, but it's also small enough it's not going to inhibit you from doing other things. Its intention more is to help deflect specific blows. Swords coming in, kind of block it or a punch, something along those lines. Bucklers are usually like a dinner plate on the back of your arm. They're not huge shields like you're used to seeing. And this one looks like it's a wagon wheel with some type of either tough leather stretched over it. It's got kind of got that pattern and it's strapped to them like a really fancy old-fashioned leather wagon wheel Apple Watch. I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> but it has some type of shield, which means they have to be like, okay, this thing might know how to use it. This is not a, a stupid brute. This thing knows what it's doing. So Darsh and Mercy, without having to say anything, immediately split up. One goes left. One goes right. Because you're fighting one foe, you divide that guy's attention, it makes it easier for the other one to get in. And the giant tries to step back to, to try to avoid some of this, but it's not going to be able to. Darsh and Mercy are fast. And so they boost, not with the boots of charm, they just boost their speed and get kind of split on this thing. While at the still, same time, occasionally having to dodge an arrow. With the this going on, the humans and Percy and those group back there with Artemis have redoubled their efforts shooting arrows into the woods and such. And one, Percy, has an idea. Now, it's in this moment that Percy's, how can I best help the party? Well, over on the south side of the road, where most of the drow are. Can't see them, hidden in these thick trees. Artemis is here, and I have to protect her from those guys over there. How can I best help in this situation? He doesn't have information, he can't charge into the woods, and he wouldn't leave Ar Artemis just there anyways. But he does get an idea. And in the moment, he realizes, wow, this is either going to go really well, or this is going to go really, really badly. And for just a moment, he kind of chuckles to himself, because in his mind, he goes... I kind of feel like dandy in this moment. Oh, I've been hanging out with Kenders far too long. And there's a mercenary there, and he says, you stay with Artemis. I'll be back in a moment. Artemis is like, what? Because you don't, it's not common. Percy's like, I'm going to leave protecting you for a minute. I mean, good. She's like, oh, he's going to do something to help, but it's still surprising to Artemis. Percy runs over and from the still burning bonfire, grabs a large piece of wood fully on fire on the other end. Now he's only going to be able to hold that a few minutes. 
That thing is hot. Luckily, he's got his gauntlets on, but he's still going to have to go quickly. He grabs that log and begins running across the road. Now, the road is wide enough to let two wagons pass each other. No more. Not a super wide highway, but two wagons. You think a wagon's probably going to be about six to eight feet wide. You have to have at least a couple feet in between for clearance and a couple feet on the other side so nobody accidentally falls off or runs into a tree. So that's still, you're looking at probably about 15 feet. So he runs as hard as he, you know, runs fast across the road. Arrows come at him and he can feel himself getting hit, but he's also one of the most armored people there. I said he wasn't wearing official Temple of Serenity armor, but he's still wearing basically light plate mail. So arrows are mostly bouncing off of that. He, he does have a faceless helm, though. He doesn't, he doesn't wear one with a cover. And he doesn't normally wear the helm unless they're going to battle. He's wearing it now. He goes running with that pole and just that big log and just flings it into the woods across the other way. As he does that, people that are guarding the caravan see what he's doing. And one of the guards yells out to another one, and they all get the same idea. They quickly start ripping up pieces of their shirt, wrapping it around some of the arrows they're, going, they're shooting, and dipping it into the fire. Some of them even grab, some of the, the, the common folk are grabbing little balls of lamp, because lamp oil normally comes in small flasks, and start whipping them across the road. So now the arrows going into the trees are on fire. There's a log over there that's already started to burn one of the trees. I already said leaves were on the ground. It's like an early fall. I've mentioned that before. It's like a fall weather. Leaves have already started to fall and dry out, so the fire catches quickly, and now the drow have a whole bunch of fire and flammable fluids being chucked across the road into the trees. Percy gets back. Artemis smiles and looks at him, and she goes, well, that was, he goes, that was pretty ingenuitive. He's like, thank you, and then stumbles over, and she notices there's an arrow sticking out of his side from between where the top and bottom, and she's like, oh, God, and she's over there and starts looking at him. He's not, like, falling over, passed out, but he's in a little bit of pain. He took an arrow, not to the knee, side. <laughs> Darsh and Mercy are doing a very, very careful dance, very careful, because this thing is not stupid, and... Their original plan of divide and conquer became divide and inconvenience. Because it doesn't take long for them to realize that this thing can take his club and literally spin in almost a 360, hitting almost both of them at a time. Can't do it nonstop. It's a big club, and even for the giant, that's going to exert him some. <clears throat> but that buckler thing is a wagon wheel. That's half the size of Darsh. It's the size of Mercy. And not only is this club coming down, when they're coming in to hit, sometimes they're having to dodge this giant wagon wheel that's being swung at them with a big meaty fist on the back of it. You could imagine that being a bit of a challenge. At the same time, it's always obviously putting more attention into Darsh. Darsh is the bigger threat here. I mean, just before the combat starts, seeing Darsh, big guy, you're really strong. Especially knows what a minotaur is. Minotaur or trouble, and they'll fight to the last breath. You're my problem. Little girl with the bonk stick, whose club is nothing compared to my giant club, is irritating 
And it hurts a bit. That's a good bonk stick. But it's nothing compared to what this cow on legs is doing. Can't have that. So he's mostly defending himself against Mercy, but trying to attack Darsh. This is keeping Darsh from being able to get a lot of damage in himself. He's constantly dodging club or shield, sometimes even foot. This thing's stomping or kicking and such. And he gets snagged a couple of times. He's managed to dodge the club each time, but he's been hit by the foot is the one that normally gets him the most. At the same time, Mercy is behind this guy, bonking him when she can on the leg or on the side. She's using a Morningstar, right? We've talked about this. This is one of those situations where even though it's a magical Morningstar, if you use it to hit a tree, it's going to do a dent to a sword. It can move right in the tree. She eventually discards her Morningstar and draws her sword. And once she starts cutting, the old giant pays a little bit more attention to her, but she still doesn't do the damage Darsh does. Darsh only gets in a few hits every so often, but they're big hits. <clears throat> Mercy's doing the best she can to help, but with, against a creature this big, she's really, really at a poor advantage. Because she's also short for human. She's like 5'2", I want to say. She's 5'1 five, five or 5'2". And she barely can hit knee height on this thing. So she's not hitting anything, you know, important. You know, cutting the back tendon and stuff, that's a dandy thing. That's, I mean, she can chop at a leg, but she's probably not going to pull it off as well as Dandy does. So she knows that Darsh has the best chance of doing a serious damage with his swords if he gets the opportunity. And that's when Mercy decides she's going to make sure he gets that opportunity. So... She discards her own shield so she can wield her sword two-handed. And instead of slashing and cutting, she decides to rush in and stab through the boot into the foot. She's close enough that she can see it is definitely a tough leather, but it's not going to be tough enough to block her sword, which at this point is, is a magical sword as well. It's not a magical sword of something. It's just a magical sword like plus three, I believe it was. It's, Two or three. Wasn't, her morning star was a plus four. It wasn't as good as her morning star. So it had to be a two or three. <clears throat> but it's sharp enough to go through that leather boot. So she races in and just right into the foot. Because the foot's like barely waist height for her. Shoves it in as hard as she could. Like the opposite of pulling the sword from the stone, right? Like straight down into that foot. Well, that gets his attention. And with a howl, he spins much faster than Mercy expected. And then suddenly, Mercy's in the air. That big old wagon wheel caught her full in the side, lifted her off the ground, and she probably went at least 10 to 12 feet before hitting a tree and falling to the ground. This makes Darsh very unhappy. She happens to be a friend of his. <clears throat> but that movement turned him and gives him an opening he needs. Darsh really could go for a different, couple different things. Cutting the back of the leg might drop it down, like Dandy did with the Achilles. That could be really helpful, right? Um, cutting tendons and things like that. Um, Darsh is angry enough that he decides to do something instead. So he takes his long sword on the end of his long arm, on the end of his tall body, and stabs it directly up and into the groin of this hill giant. He runs right in between him and just shoves it up as hard as he can. Um, as you would expect... 
the giant notices. A howl of pain, much more than the foot, comes from the hill giant who spins and is trying to get to Darsh, but Darsh is between his legs. Darsh just backs up and stays in between them. And even though the sword's down, he stabs up a second time. It meet. The club falls from the giant's hand and it falls to its knees. But it manages, Darsh has to dodge out of the way of that. Getting crushed by it could be a problem, and that's what it tried to do. But it wasn't able to. Darsh manages to get out of the way, but in that, the sword stayed in. He lost control of it, it yanked it out of his hand. So you can imagine. You try to try to someone shoves a pencil up into your groin and there's only this much sticking out of there and you've got big old hands and you're trying to get it so you can pull it out through your clothing after you've fallen to your knees it's not easy i'm assuming it's never happened to me personally yet night is young darsh is standing behind the guy now that it's down on his knees Darsh is about right at lower back area. Pock before, Darsh has a magical charm bracelet. It sounds silly, but it's not. Each of the charms holds a magical weapon. And you can pop that weapon out as an action, or you can pop it back in as an action. Can't do both in the same turn. His sword's not in his hand anymore. Pops a new one out. And this happens to be a big two-handed sword, because he does get to pick which one. He does control that. A big two-handed sword comes out. At this point, he's already dropped his shield when he's doing the two-handed stab up. So he takes that two-handed sword and he just goes right in and starts attacking the lower back of this thing. Just stabbing and cutting and all sorts of damage. Mercy gets to her feet a little shaky. She was stunned for a minute or two. And then she sees this hill giant is now on his knees, howling with its hands between its legs. She sees Darsh rushing at its back. Looking down, she doesn't see her sword anywhere. She pops her morning star in her hand and throws it over her hand at the face of this thing, which is uncovered. Thunk is the sound Dandy's dagger makes as it hits the into the body of the drow that she's fighting. She quickly whipped out one of her daggers and threw it mid-fight. The drow either not expecting it or didn't see her move that quick, misses it and gets the dagger hit. But doing so opened up Dandy as well. And he gets a nice big cut across her arm and even into her shoulder a little bit. A deep cut. And Dandy has to stagger back a little bit. Wasn't expecting that. He moved quicker than she thought he would as well. Her dagger, one of her silver daggers, stuck in his body, he takes off. Dandy's ready to go after him, takes a step, and then starts to fall over. She sees there's just a ton of blood coming out of her shoulder. That was much deeper than she thought. And she wants to go after him, but she's not in shape to fight him again if she doesn't get some help. The other drow is still dead on the ground. She leaves it, and she has to try to make her way to Artemis. She's already starting to feel a bit lightheaded. She makes her way towards the road. As she does... Just ahead of her, she sees movement. And at first, she thinks it's another drow. She's getting a little lightheaded. A lot of blood loss very quickly. Not a good sign. Except this drow goes like this. And is much shorter. That's Mercy! Andy's 
cries, that's Mercy. And Mercy's like, what? <laughs> she does that. And Dandy comes rushing up. And she's like, help, please. And she's holding like this. And her, her shirt's ripped open. And there's just blood pouring out. And Mercy's like, oh, God. And she just forgets about her weapons. And she scoops up Dandy and starts running towards the caravan. Darsh hears a, a small crunch up above Hiram as the Morning Star hits the giant in the face, inconveniencing him. Another couple of magic missiles hit him in the face again. Drought, or that drought, the uh, hill giant enraged. All these things going on, and it's trying to get Darsh at this point. Still got his buckler on. It's trying to squish him or hit him or whatever. Still couldn't get this sword out of its groin. And Darsh just keeps moving and cutting at it. And as he, he's cutting, he looks a bit to the side and he sees Mercy running, holding Dandy. That's not supposed to happen. Darcy doesn't have time to play around anymore. Not that he was, but now he's a little bit more encouraged to hurry. Darsh takes the sword and stabs it and then begins to try to run parts of this, stabs it in and tries to bring it to the side. Big gash in the back of the side. The hill giant reaches out and gets a good club on him. Hits him, knocking Darsh back again. And as he raises his hand, Darsh comes in and shoves up again. Gets him right in the lower belly. And, and just starts slashing and gashing. He feels himself getting hit a couple of times. But at this point, he just doesn't care. This thing has to die. And he's just stabbing and slashing. And the thing's blood, its belly starts, is open. Things are falling out. Hill giant refusing to give up, though is still pummeling Darsh while Darsh is still pummeling him. And after a few minutes of this, the thing finally rolls over and falls back on the middle of the road. Darsh is pretty lightheaded. All of his hits were blunt attacks. He's very stunned, and one of his eyes is all sore, and there's blood all coming out of his face. But he can walk. And he turns, and he starts going back to the caravan. Artemis heals Dandy. Soon as Dandy is brought in by Mercy, Mercy yells out Artemis. Dandy sees or Artemis sees Mercy running, holding Dandy. Obviously, this is a problem. Percy immediately reaches up to help, you know, get her down. Artemis, without hesitation, just sees the blood, puts her hand on her, and just starts putting in like a what we call a general heal. Because different heals can, you know, like I have a heal that will get rid of your scratch or heal your wound or fix your stomach pain. This is a, I have to put a bunch of magic mojo into you to heal everything because I don't know the extent of your damage. Uh, it, it does drains her much more. It's a much more powerful spell, but it also heals a bunch more because it hits everything. It does drain Dandy, though. She's already weak, so Dandy's unconscious from it. Not coma or anything, but she's unconscious from just the, the pure strain of her body having to work together and heal itself because it is doing it. The magic's accelerating. And that's something I, I've always tried to point out to people who want to play healer or someone with healing spells. It just doesn't disappear. Your body heals. You're accelerating that heal in a place where the body shouldn't be able to do that or doing it at just a very drastic pace. Your body's still doing that. There are some spells that will heal you major damage and then you feel all invigorated afterwards. That's the magic side kicking but a lot of the spells that heal you also drain your body. It's going to make you very hungry and thirsty afterwards because your body's just used a lot of its fuel to heal you up very quickly. I always think it's, you know, I like the magic side of stuff, but I like it to be a bit realistic. I would, that's how I've always had healing work. You know? The cost to pay for everything. 
So Dandy's unconscious. Artemis assures the rest of them that she's going to be okay. After that's done, Mercy looks up, looks around, realizes she hasn't heard noises in a while. The people, other than the people of the caravan talking, and they're no longer shooting their bows. Darsh comes stumbling in, blood all over him. Some of it's his, some of it's belly tissue from the other guy, uh, from the hill giant. And they're like, oh God, you need heals? He goes, take care of everybody else first, I'm okay. Artemis is like, are you sure? Because I'm telling you I'm okay. Take care of the people first. Darsh is hurting, but he knows he's not critical in any way. He's going to be okay. His adrenaline's still kicking at this point, um, but the battle is over. The drow have no long, haven't shot arrows in, in a little while now. When the hill giant fell, that pretty much became the end for the elves. So the drow have now departed. Now, it takes a little while for everybody to get up. Dandy wakes up about 15, 20 minutes later and tells about the drow she killed. She's a little tired still, but she's okay. And her and Darsh and Mercy make their way into the woods. And it doesn't take too long for Dandy to find the spot where she killed the drow. The drow's body is not there. Also, one of her good magic silver daggers is missing because it was in the body of that other drow. So she lost a dagger. She killed a drow, and she thinks she hurt another one pretty bad. Which, to be honest... They don't know how much damage was done to the drow. Darsh clearly hit one, at least. But she, you know, she, the body's gone. They can't, you know, investigate, take any loot, see if they can figure out anything special about the drow. They return to the caravan, who thanks them profusely. How much, you know, help that is. And everybody's working and cleaning up stuff. And there's a call from the other side of the caravan from the other side of the wagons. Darsh and Mercy rush over thinking some other type of attack. But in fact, uh, one of the people in the caravan have a bag in their hand. Very, a very black, almost like pouch. And like, I found it in the woods next to some of the some arrows. He's like, you know, I, I saw a light reflect off it and I went and grabbed it. And they, Darsh is like, let me see that. <laughs> and no one's going to tell Darsh no. Give me that. And he opens it up, and inside are a, a few coins of generic coins. They're gold coins, but there's no imprint on them to say any type of kingdom or anything like that. I don't even... I wonder if drow imprint their money. You'd think they would. These ones don't, but maybe later. More drow will. <laughs> inside just that, you know, and you don't see anything else of value other than there is some type of token. It looks like a big coin at first. Like, well, that's a big steel looking coin. He pulls it out and he looks at it. And it's not a coin. It's just got a symbol on one side. It looks like it's made of steel, but it's not what you'd consider a steel coin. It's much flatter than that. Because coins back then were much thicker than they are. And one of the other people point at it and say they know what that is. And Darsh and Dandy are like, or not Darsh, Darsh and Mercy are like, well, you've seen this before? What is it? And they say that that is the emblem of the kingdom of Nordal, which is the kingdom far to the west on the other side of Star's Reach. In fact, not only is that one of their symbols in a bag of gold, that city is the one that in the past has had most amount of wars and issues with the kingdom that these people are from. The kingdom to the east 
which is going to have this big caravan coming in in a few in at this point seven more days. They're from the kingdom of Elor. And everybody looks at this man, and the, and the humans are like, the drow are working with them. And Darsh is like, the token from them in a bag of gold. He's a size bagger. It's not huge, but there's some gold in there. What if the drow aren't just attacking randomly? What if the what if they are in fact aligned with this other kingdom? They ask a few questions. This kingdom you say they've had history in the past. Yes, but it's been quite a while. The kingdom of Elonor is much, much bigger and stronger, and any few skirmishes has always been Nordal. Well, you know, it was, they were told by the Merchant's Guild that if this big caravan gets taken out, that big eastern city may not trade with them anymore. Which could cut them off from some of the supplies from other kingdoms. And may also hurt this central neutral thing, which has also been a, would have been helping uh, this kingdom of Elor stay in gear and such from these other kingdoms. And for the first time... Darsh and Merzen looking at each other kind of got that connection like maybe there's something bigger to this than just some drow causing problem. Some drow just being evil drow. What if there's a goal to their action? The gold in the token they give to the head of the caravan who's like, as soon as we get to Star's Reach, we have to let them know about this. We have to get this information out there. Like, you know, we're going to trust you guys with it because we're still heading towards the drought. We've only got seven days left before that big caravan comes through. We've got to get this taken care of before then. And so they they spend the rest of the... They go back get their stuff. They spend the rest of the night with the caravan. Remember, their camp was 20 minutes away. They get their horses and bring them up here and they stay with the caravan for the rest of the night. Safety in numbers. And you can be sure the caravan folks are super happy to have them spending the night with them, right? 20 feet over there is a dead hill giant laying on the ground. It didn't have anything. Darsh searched it. He did get his sword back out of the groin. Had to wash it an awful lot. Gross. <laughs> Mercy gathers all her weapons. Takes her a little bit longer to find her sword because it hit the ground when she got knocked against a tree. But the rest of the night goes through without incident. No more bodies or signs are found. They do find arrows and stuff sticking out of things still. And checking them, they agree the arrows are not of the highest quality. But of course, with the drow being armed by humans and not drow. Drow usually will use nothing less than immaculate quality stuff. That's one of the things that's been bothering the heroes up to this point. Is while a lot of this is what you'd expect from drow, some of these things are not. The arrows and the hooting and such. What if this is something bigger? Something aligned with the human group? Problem. The drow are still a threat, but maybe in a bigger way than they think. The next day, they travel on and they make it to the town that they were supposed to. Caravan heading out towards the city. They, they part ways. They get to the next day and they make it to the town of Mender. Mentioned it before. Um, 
getting here, the town itself is well, pretty well guarded. There's a lot of obviously hired guard here. Very early on, this is the closest town to where the drow are, and it's had several attacks early on, though not recently. Same MO. They never got to see really any of the drow. They attack at night, kind of loud and obnoxious, um, and that type of stuff. And again, I also want to point out one other thing, that Artemis, who speaks Elven, didn't understand a single word of what the drow were saying, which could be possible. Drow could have their complete different language. Unlike the other elven races who are all above ground and probably came from one group or another, this drow could be from another world and never seen their type of, could be completely different. So while they're in the town, they're not there long. They're there long enough to get some supplies. They, don't, they only get there just a few hours after morning. Um, the town is obviously in fear. Everybody's walking around strapped with a weapon on day and night. A lot of hired guards that they've had to grab. They also find out that a lot of the folks, the town's a little bit busier than normal because almost all the farmsteads to the north have been evacuated at this point. What people weren't attacked by the drow, no one's going to live up there by them by themselves. So most of the folks have come here. Some have went on to other cities. Some have just stayed here, hoping that eventually one of the kingdoms will come in here and kick the drow out and they can go back to their land, right? Because you don't want to give up your land. You've maybe in your family for generations. So there's no that they know of at this point. Nobody's still living north of this town. Town's right on the road. There does, in fact, uh, there is, in fact, a road that heads north that connects multiple of the farmsteads and farming communities. Um, and then eventually it will break off towards the northeast. It becomes a much older road. It seems that many, many, many years ago, there was some mining in that mountain, um, but they didn't find much of value. They didn't find any precious metals or anything. They get some stone, maybe some coal, things like that. They found a little bit of silver or copper. Um, but they found it was all full of caverns and pocket marks, like much like a sponge. And it was very dangerous and not very sturdy. Very, very, cr I want to say crumbly. But, you know, it's, it was, uh, I can't, secure, I can't think of the word. But it's very weak. And mining, sometimes you'd fall into a whole other cavern underneath. It was very dangerous, and so it wasn't carried on from there. So the road's not been kept up in years. And they're like, okay, we understand that. That's the direction we want to go. Uh, what else did they learn? They fear attack, attacked twice. Uh, let's see. Again, no bodies were ever left. Little to no melee. The farms were raided regularly until people left. Farms, uh, like livestock killed, foods, items taken, things of value taken. Always at night. So they gather up what they can. They've rested, and they decide they're going to go ahead and start out today. They want to get out there as quickly as they can. So they aren't heading north on this road. And this is a pretty okay road. It's like a dirt road, but it's an okay road because it connected the farmsteads. It would have been regularly used. It's upkept okay. Not as well as the big road they got on, which is like a cobbled or tiled road kind of thing, which has you know, regular maintenance. A dirt road, but it's a good road. Wagons would go up and down it with farm goods all the time. And it takes them a few hours until they get to the point that they were described. Not only do they have it on their map, they were given by the merchant lords, but even the, the townsfolk looking at the map says, yeah, this is exactly what you're looking for. And they find where it splits off. And there's a little sign that probably said something like mine pointing in that direction, but it's very old and worn. Obviously, no one's repaired it or re-put it up recently. No one goes that way anyway, so it wouldn't matter. 
it's at this point off in the distance, as they're getting close to where the road splits, that they can start to see the silhouette of the mountain in the distance. It's actually a couple mountains, but there's one big one with just a couple small ones around it. Very out of place in this type of terrain. And so they get to the dirt road. Or to the to the split in the dirt road. And like this road's not barely a road. It's mostly a path and overgrown at this point, but it's enough that you could follow it. And there's not a lot of trees growing in it. So it's still easier to take their horses than to try to just go through regular force. They travel again for a couple of hours. By this point, it's about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. When all of a sudden, about that time, Dandy, who's riding a little up front, puts her hands up, they're like, hmm, you know that, whatever it is? And everybody stops. It was faint. But Dandy smelled smoke. After being stopped for a moment, Artemis can smell it as well. Elvin senses me. She whispers to Darcy Mercy what she smells, and Artemis, or Danny looks back and nods, and Danny slides off her horse carefully. Starts moving towards the woods, the direction she believes the smells come from. Because, you know, lick a finger, air's coming this way, smoke's that way. She's a way smarter tracker than I am. She can figure that out. Goes in the direction she believes the smoke is coming from. She's Reaches, you know, because again, it's a path, it's brush. It's not as foresty here. It's more like just high brush, shoulder high bushes and small trees and such. She's reaching the edge where she's about to go into the woods when she hears a voice call out, Move no further. Stay where you are. She hears a clicking, a crossbow ready to fire. I'm not stopping there. You thought I was going to. I'm still going to be a few more minutes. Chill out. Okay, don't freak out. I'm not done yet. <laughs> that would be a good place to stop. That's not. Darsh slides off his mount. He says, My name is Darsh Fohammer. I'm from the south, traveling with these folks. Dandy, so on, so on. Young woman you're addressing is Dandelion Nettleleaf. Now, Unless you've got a lot more friends out there, or a lot more weapons, I suggest you explain who you are, because I guarantee you, you shoot that crossbow, my hands will be around your neck before you load it a second time. It's another clicking noise. First, everybody's like, shoot. Dandy up, up close knows the sound of it being disarmed. Well, I'll be. Sorry, I, I couldn't quite make you out through the trees. And a gentleman steps out. Again, also dressed in black with his silvery old hair. It is Aaron, the guy who gave Dandy the knowledge of this entire area. My goodness, Miss Dandelion, I, I had no idea you were coming up here as well. I have to say, though, it is a you are a sight for sore eyes. And, oh, you brought, brought the crown with you, too. And the lady of the temple, he takes his hat off and he's like, I, I apologize for drawing a weapon on you all. I, I know it's dangerous around here and I, I didn't know who you were. And frankly, good sir, all I saw was you <laughs> pointing at Darsh. He goes, and I didn't know you. Because again, he was in Serenity. Darsh doesn't live there. He probably wouldn't hear much about Darsh. You know what I mean? It's not where he lives. You hear about Artemis 
and mercy and dandy, but I'm sure Darsh has been there and he's a you know legendary, but you're not gonna talk about him regularly because he doesn't live there. Dandy walks up and puts her arm on the on the guy's shoulder and says, I'm glad to see you're okay too. We were worried. I looked all over the place and I couldn't find you. No one saw you. And he apologized again. He goes, I'm I'm sorry again. Yes, I as I as intended, I was coming up this direction, but fortunately I got sidetracked for a few days. Came across a small town that unfortunately had a small zombie infestation. And uh, I couldn't just pass that by. I had to take care of that first. Dandy's like, well, understandable. I mean, I know you're coming to, you know, in her thoughts, he's coming up here to make money to help another town and such. But no hunter's going to leave a town with zombies to go do something that's not a town with zombies. You know what I mean? No hunter's going to give that up. People hunt, usually, the majority of hunters, especially the good ones, don't do it for money. They do it for personal reasons. They're not going to pass that by. And they said, how about your friends? Are they here as well? And he gets a bit of a sad look on his face. He's like, no, and I'll be honest, I'm quite worried about them. My delay caused me to miss them. By the time I got to Star's Reach, went to a place I was supposed to meet them, there was a letter there. They'd gone ahead without me, concerned I either wasn't coming or, or didn't make it, you know. Discussed this long ago. So they'd already headed off without me. I was doing my best to try to catch up with them. So far, I've seen no signs of them. I'll be honest with you, that's not a good sign. You know, Miss Dandelion, that our people are very good at not being found unless they want to, but... They did think I was coming after them enough to leave a note for me. They'd leave signs somewhere else as well. And I haven't found any. I am concerned for their safety. Dandy, Mercy, Mercy steps up and goes, Well, if your friends are in trouble, we'll definitely do what we can to help them as well. So he gets introduced to everybody. Um, and he's like, Hello, thank you. I've heard of most of you. Mercy, I've not heard of you. You're a Templar, obviously. Thank you. Fia, I don't, never heard a word of you, but hi, <laughs> cool, thanks for being here, and he's very cool, collected, I'm probably making him sound a little bit sillier, but he's not, he's very, I appreciate it, thank you very much, I'm worried about my friends, he's a little more serious than I'm probably playing him off, so I apologize for that, he's a bit more serious, because I'm, I'm concerned for my friends, but I'm glad that you're here, he is very humbled, I mean, to him, Dandy is royalty of hunters, right, like that's, that's a legendary person who popped up to help on a quest, and she brought with her world-renowned heroes. I don't care how serious you are. That's, that's still enough to humble a person. Like, wow, you guys are here. And each one of you packs more of a punch than I do. Wow. But of course, they invite him to join along. They're like, well, let's see if we can find your friends. And to be honest, we're all here for the same reason. You know, together, you know, definitely, if there's a large force of drow, and having another experienced hand on hand would be helpful. Plus, the fact that he's hunter means he's going to be, he's going to have skills at tracking. Well, particularly undead, he's still going to have skills that are going to help out, which would definitely help Dandy because they could be able to look more than one kind of direction at once. They could kind of split up ahead, do that kind of a thing. So having Aaron join the group, very helpful. So he joins on as well. So now their group is size seven, relatively large group. It's very cool. Uh, so he was not able to find his friends. Invited to join the group. Okay. So they travel along the rest of the day, making their way towards the mountains up this path. 
he tells a bit of his own story, not much, but a little bit of yes, I'm hunting, and tells about the town more than anything else. There's a small town, zombies there. This is what I do, take care of him. He's reading it out, and Danny's nodding her head like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, that's that's the right strategy. I would have done the same thing. You know, that kind of thing here in the layout. The guy obviously has some skills at combat because he knows what he's talking about from a strategy point of view. They travel on. They decide to camp early that day because they don't want to be right on the mountains at night. The last thing they want for the drow to have the mountains to their back and attack in the night. So they stay a little bit away. Like, we're going to camp here, rest for the night, double watch, except now we can let Fia not watch. She's like, I'll help. And I'm like, no, Fia, you're, you can't see in the dark anyways. <laughs> you and Percy can't see stuff. He can't see dark, but he can see better. He's trained to hear things. So we're going to use him instead of you. I'm like, okay, cool. So, you know, same thing as before when they were making camp. Somebody goes and gets wood. Somebody gets finds water. They start making something to eat. And they're sitting there and they're talking about what they're going to move on to do the next day. Okay, if we move on, here's our strategy. Aaron has a little bit of information as well. He's like, I you know, came from a slightly different direction, came across this small town, and some one of the guys there used to be a miner and was able to remember a little bit of the layout of the caves. And he pulls out a parchment and he's drawing out some of the or in the dirt or whatever. This is there. Supposedly this is the entrance, at least in the section he mined in. Supposedly the caves go in like this, but you got to be careful because sometimes literally they could break and you fall right through to other caverns. You got to watch over the same kind of stuff they heard, but with a bit more of actual physical layout. So that was a great perk. So they're all there and then they all, they all get done and they all decide they're going to have a bite to eat and then start resting. And the, the sun's just, you know, starting to go down. They're going to go to bed early. And, uh, they all are eating some stew that Artemis made. Um, and then Darsh's stomach starts to feel a little bit upset. That's weird. Blinks his eyes a few times. His eyelids feel a bit heavy. Mercy can't help but yawn. Stomach's churning a little bit as well. It's uncomfortable. Thunk. Looking over, slowly, they see Fia has just fallen right over. Looks like she just fell right over asleep on the ground. Passed right out. And then all of them realize something's wrong. They try to stand up. They try to get up, but their legs feel like jello. One at a time, they start falling over onto the ground, unconscious. Andy had been sitting up on a small rock eating her stew. Last one to get herself some. She also feels it starting to come over. As Dandy feels herself slipping from her rock, she looks to Aaron in confusion. She hits the soft ground and her eyes begin to grow heavy. As she begins to lose consciousness, she looks up at Aaron one last time. As the sun's rays dip behind the trees, she sees Aaron's face shimmer. The aged human skin transforms into a dark onyx black color as his grayish hair grows even longer and pure white. My apologies, little dandelion, is the last thing she hears before the darkness takes her. That's where we're going to stop for the night. Two hours and ten minutes. That's not too shabby. 
a little over two. I was I wasn't too far off on my estimate, but it's uh, the next part. I did not want to split in half. So that is the end of today's episode. I know it's a weird week, and not as many folks could come and watch it live. Some people told me they wouldn't be able to make it today, but I hope that you guys that did come by at least enjoyed it. A little bit combat heavy again this week. Next week be a little bit, or not, next Merge Worlds week, not next week, but the week after, should be uh, also a little bit uh, interesting as we see the new predicament that our heroes are going to find themselves in. But I do appreciate you coming by and hanging out with me. It is always a pleasure to get to share my story with those of you who uh, are interested enough to hear it. Whether you're listening to it today, tomorrow, or 10 years down the road, I appreciate you giving me some of your time to do so. Um, Merged Worlds, of course, is here on YouTube. If you enjoy it, please be sure to give it a like. Most importantly, remember to subscribe if you're new to the channel. Uh, this is also available on iTunes and Spotify as a free podcast. If you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, it would be awesome. If you wouldn't mind giving it five stars or all the stars or a rating of any kind. How many stars do you think it's worth? And uh, leave a review. It would be awesome if you wouldn't mind. Things like that really help get it out to other people. Definitely would appreciate it if you'd consider it. But that is going to do us for today. Next Thursday is Behind the Dice Day. Um, and I have a topic I think I'm going to do if I can gather enough stuff for it in time. I'm not going to say what it is quite yet. I do have a couple of new minis that I'll be posting on the Merged Worlds Instagram this week, um, including Aaron and Fia. And I don't think I've done Percy. I think Percy's the other one. I, I have him built, but I haven't painted him yet. I've already done a Percy. I feel bad, but I don't think I have. So I have those three that should be coming out this week at least. So if you get a chance, uh, there's a Merged Worlds Instagram account. Swing on over there, give it a follow, and see the cool minis as they come out. All of those, of course, are available also on my website, onlydraven.com. You'll find links of all the different minis of characters to so see what they look like, as well as uh, links to all of the episodes of Merch World. All right? But at that point, I'm going to call this a day. Thank you again for letting me tell you my story. I hope that you'll come back again. Let me tell it some more. All right? You folks have yourselves a wonderful evening. I hope you have a great rest of your week and a great weekend. And if I don't see you before then and you live in this country, I hope you have a good Halloween. It is October the 14th today. I hope you have yourself a great holiday. All right? We'll talk to you later. Thanks for coming by.